Hello everybody and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast yet again, and this is episode 36. Now, uh, I apologize about the uh, this one being a little bit late, but we've just run into a lot of uh, crazy stuff these past few weeks. But we do have some, some more guests coming in the future, and we haven't forgotten about the podcast, so please keep listening and stay tuned because we have some more good stuff coming. And we also have some good topics coming. That's actually... I mean, that sounds kind of silly, but we've been doing a lot of uh, interesting stuff, and there are a lot of a lot of interesting news uh, regarding BMW and the industry just in general uh, as of late. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, this episode, we have some interesting stuff to talk about because we haven't done a podcast episode since the news of the M3 touring. So we're absolutely going to talk about that because that is the biggest news right now. And um, there's some other really good stuff in there too. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna talk about the potential BMW M8 CSL, um, the new Mercedes S Class, which I know BMW fans might not want to hear about, but it's hugely important for the industry. Um, and another one that I personally want to talk about is um, the Lucid Air. Uh, that's a, a new electric car that's really it really has me intrigued. I'm really interested in it, and uh, so I kind of just personally, maybe selfishly, want to talk about that. So uh, let's kick it off, and obviously the first thing we have to talk about is the M3 Touring. The M3 Touring, uh, the wagon version of the M3, is actually coming. For the first time in history, BMW is going to give us a long-roof wagon version, five-door wagon, M3. I mean, that is something that fans have been begging for, for, I mean, as long as I can remember. Simply because a wagon would make the M3 just even better as a daily sports car simply by adding extra practicality. I mean, it's really quite simple. The M3 has always been, you know, the best daily driving sports sedan ever because it combined, um, you know, great performance, fantastic handling, um, you know, brilliant motorsport derived engines um, into a practical you know, either four-door sedan or technically, I guess it would be a two-door sedan because it's, you know, got back seats and everything. It's like just a two-door version of a four-door sedan. But, you know, these were sports sedans that, you know, had everyday practicality and usability because they weren't too uncomfortable, they weren't too stiff, and that's always what the M3 has been. So, so many fans have always felt, well, if you just give us a wagon version, now we don't need a second car, we don't need an SUV, we don't need you know, uh, a family car because the M3 can handle it, you know, or the M3 wagon could handle it because it's a wagon. You can throw all your crap back there. You can stick a dog back there. Um, you know, it just makes it a better everyday car. And another reason is the M3's competition has always offered, well, not always, but has often offered um, wagon versions. The uh, C-Class, whatever the AMG C-Class at the time was, you know, it was the Mercedes-Benz C43 AMG, and now it's like the C Mercedes-AMG C63, you know, whatever, there's, they're always, I don't want to say always, actually, because that was a bit spotty, uh, but there have been wagon versions of that in the past, and the Audi RS4 um, has always offered a wagon version, and the Audi RS4 is really popular in Europe, where the only place it's ever really been sold, because it never came to North America, um, but the RS4 has always, always been popular there because it can be used all the time. It can be used, you know, it's a sport, it's a family car, but it's also a sports car. And it can be used in the winter. It can be used, uh, you know, because of its all-wheel drive and whatnot. So the idea of kind of creating that rival, that RS4 Avant, 
uh, rival in an M3 Touring, something that fans have just always wanted, but BMW refused to provide. For some odd reason, BMW just never saw fit to give the M3 a wagon body style, and it's somewhat peculiar because it seems like it'd be a perfect fit um, until recently. Uh, it was actually funny. A few months back, we heard whispers from our sources that BMW brass, you know, some of the suits up in Munich, were kind of like just vaguely entertaining the idea of actually making one. It was like a really faint, they kind of like maybe said, ah, maybe we'll think about it one day. Like it was really, really far-fetched even, even then, but at least they were talking about it. And then I guess it must have, uh, you know, started to catch some, catch some steam, build up some steam, and someone changed someone's mind over in Munich because they've officially announced that there will be a G81 BMW M3 Touring, a five-door wagon a version of this generation M3, the new one that's coming out, and that is incredibly exciting news. Uh, we've talked about what it will be before. Um, but I just want to reiterate just how important this is because think about the actual package. If you're an M3 Touring buyer, think about the actual package. You're going to be getting a six-cylinder twin-turbocharged, manu potentially manual, rear-wheel drive wagon. Now, we don't know if it will actually come with every uh, version of the M3 that's going to be available in the sedan because uh, the M3 sedan is going to have two power uh, flavors, so to speak. You're going to have the standard with 473 horsepower and the competition with 503 horsepower. And um, there's going to be an automatic transmission option and a manual transmission option, as well as a rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Now, we don't know if BMW is going to limit the wagon to maybe, let's say, competition, automatic, all-wheel drive only spec. It's entirely possible. Kind of like how, um, for instance, the 3 Series wagon in America was the 328 it only came 328i and then eventually 330i after the facelift um, but it was just the sports wagon it was called and it only came with the four-cylinder engine automatic and all-wheel drive there was no other configuration you could get so it's possible that bmw does something similar with the m3 touring because they don't think that maybe they think that it won't sell as well as a sedan or it's a more specific market so rather than give a bunch of options that aren't going to be bought and waste money um, they're going to, they, they might limit its scope a bit. I, I, I don't know that for sure, but you know, we, we don't know what BMW is going to do with its spec, but there's a possibility that it's limited in its uh, scope a bit. Um, we're hoping not because the idea of a rear-wheel drive, six-speed manual uh, M3 wagon is about as cool as a car gets. So that would be incredible. And to, I, I honestly think it would be a brilliant idea for BMW to do because not only would it sell like crazy, but it would offer enormous brand uh, cachet. I mean, you would get huge brand prestige from such a car. I mean, like just the image that BMW M would get for selling such an incredibly cool, uh, you know, motorsport-inspired wagon with a proper manual gearbox you know, and rear-wheel drive is just incredible. And think of all the enthusiasts that buy cars like the RS4 Avant and the uh, C63 AMG Wagon who buy those cars because they want a fast performance car, but they also need something that can double as their family car. You know, maybe they can, they only have one car um, and, you know, they don't want an SUV. They just want a cool wagon and they want one that's fast and fun just because they're enthusiasts. 
And so they buy these cars. But think about the enthusiast who says, well, wait a minute, BMW is the only one that's offering the manual. Uh, I mean, I've always bought the RS4, but the RS4 is only automatic now, and BMW offers a manual, so that's the one I'm going to take. And the BMW's rear-wheel drive. Uh, now, you can get it all-wheel drive. There's almost certainly going to be able to get the wagon all-wheel drive, which does actually, I mean, it's not the enthusiast choice, but we've driven, uh, you know, M all-wheel drive systems before, like in the M8 and the M5, and it does a really damn good job of feeling rear-wheel drive. So I don't think there's going to be a problem there. But what it does offer is now it offers customers who live in snowier climates. Like say you live, for instance, uh, you know, like in the upper uh, east coast, you know, of the United States, like in Maine or something where it snows like crazy. You know, the M3 was never really a viable option as a daily driver uh, because you could only drive it, you know, half half of the year because the rest of the year is just covered in terrible snow so the m3 is always sketchy in the snow because you know it's rear-wheel drive tons of torque you know kind of get sideways on you a lot so that's where cars like um you know like audis and stuff fast audis become very popular because of their all-wheel drive system now the m3 is going to be i guess that's actually main is a bad example because the m3 touring is not coming to the united states but um, in you know European climates where it does get snowier, uh, the M3 is now a viable option, or at least a more viable option than it was before, especially as a wagon, because you're again you're getting that practical everyday package, um, but this time you're getting it from an M3 and not an Audi or AMG alternative, which has to be really exciting for car enthusiasts because the M3 is the scalpel among those three cars. You know, the M3 is the better driving of those three cars. You know, the AMG has that sledgehammer V8, and that's awesome, and the RS4 has that all-wheel drive grip, which is awesome, but now the, the M3 sort of has a, a, the best of all worlds. You know, it's going to have at least offer all-wheel drive for people who live in snowier climates. Uh, it's going to have a twin-turbo straight-six, going to, you know, potentially offer a manual, and it's going to be a wagon. It's going to have the best of all worlds, and it's going to be sharper to drive than the other two. Um, it's going to be a really, really compelling package, not just for BMW enthusiasts, but for people who need a fast or who need a practical car but want a fast one. Um, the M3 wagon is going to be a new viable option that they didn't have before, and it's I think it's going to draw customers in uh, from other brands and uh, you know maybe just other cars, uh, maybe even just other cars in BMW's lineup. So I mean. I think it's a brilliant move by BMW. I'm super excited about it. It's a huge bummer that it's not coming to the States. We know that for certain. It is not coming to the United States. Um, and that is a real bummer, to be honest with you. But uh, such is life, and we kind of expected it, to be honest with you. It's not really, uh, it's not too disappointing considering we basically saw that one coming a mile away. But um, it's still frustrating to see the European market get it and us not get it. And uh, I won't lie to you, I did look up. Uh, you know, cost of living in Germany because moving to Germany for the M3 Touring seems worth it to me. Uh, too bad my wife squashed that rumor or that uh, that idea, rightfully so. But uh, that was um, being being the irrational man that I am. I would have absolutely made that move for the M3 Touring. But it is going to be an awesome car. I really can't wait for it, and uh, I really hope that BMW has the grace to send us to germany to test that whenever it does come out unfortunately you are going to have to wait a little while to see it because from what we understand it's at least another year or two out before the m3 touring actually hits the market um so it might actually even be in 
be just in time for the facelift. They might actually save it for that. I mean, it would make sense uh, to save the M3 Touring for the facelift version of the M3 that happens in a few years. Um, that would make a little bit of sense. And what's also interesting, and, and I really sincerely hope that it sells well, because if it does sell well, we'll get another one. If it doesn't, we won't. It's really that simple. So I really, really hope it sells well. I hope customers really can appreciate it, and I hope BMW nails it because, I mean, the M3 and M4 have been taking quite a bit of flack already. They haven't even been debuted yet, but they're already taking flack for their design with the new grille. And I think the M3 Touring will kind of overshadow that. I think the M3 Touring will be so interesting and so cool. And fans will be so relieved that it even exists that they'll forget about the looks. I think that and maybe that was one of the reasons why it was finally greenlit. BMW wanted to get some positivity out of the M3, some, some positive news um, out of the M3 and get fans excited about it rather than just kind of worried about the new grill. And I'm not going to lie to you, if the car is great and it comes in a wagon... I don't care what the hell kind of grill is on it. I'd buy one. If I could afford it, I'd buy it. I mean, it's like the perfect everyday car. So, I mean, it's just a brilliant idea. It's a, it's a fantastic move by BMW. And we're all, I mean, I, I think I can speak for all BMW enthusiasts when I say we're all incredibly excited about it. Um, it's just such a good move. And it's just such a cool car. So we're really, really, really pumped about that one. I want to shift gears a little bit though, and uh, but but I want to stay. I want to stick with BMW M, but just kind of shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about another car that was rumored um, for BMW M. It was kind of bizarre. It's actually kind of been very bizarre. It's the M8 CSL. Uh, it's something that we don't know officially exists. We don't uh, know if it ever will exist. Um, but there was this we there was weird, bizarre prototype that was spotted. Doing some testing uh, on the Nurburgring, around the Nurburgring, on the road, and it was an 8 series. It looked like an M8, but it was covered in camouflage and it had like some oddities to it. There were actually even rumors that it was mid-engine, that it was a mid-engine test mule, um, because of the fact that the grills seemed to be closed off, like not even just the active grill shutters, like the grills seemed to be closed off, um, and it had like weird louvered vents on the rear quarters. And, and the glass was kind of camo the rear the rear glass was kind of camouflaged like so the C pillar had like these weird louvered uh, vents and the glass had like black camo on it which is odd like why would you camouflage the rear glass unless you're hiding something that's underneath it but what would you possibly be hiding under underneath that rear glass and an M8 it's just the back seat so what was under there and what were those vents for and it was just kind of bizarre. It just didn't make much sense. So there was a lot of speculation that maybe it was a mid-engine test mule. Like uh, they just had a mid-engine chassis and stuck an M8 body on it sort of thing. Which doesn't really make any sense in today's modern world of manufacturing. But uh, that was sort of the idea. Maybe they were just testing out mid-engine powertrains and needed a t uh, you know some kind of test mule to stick, stick it in. So they stuck it in an M8. There was a possibility there. Um, but the, the most... I don't want to say it's the most likely... Uh, rumor to be true, but one of the ones, one of the rumors that's sort of carrying the most weight and seems to be sticking the most, is the fact that it was actually a hybrid test mule for the upcoming hybrid powertrain in the uh, upcoming BMW X8 M and potentially M8 CSL, which would make sense why it was in a M8 and not an SUV because if BMW were to be testing a hybrid powertrain it's much easier to test it and fit all the batteries in an SUV so if they were testing the X8's powertrain 
Like if they were te- testing something for an X8, wouldn't it make more sense to stuff all of the gubbins into an X7? Because it's much easier. There's a lot of room. It's easier to just stuff batteries and stuff into that than it is to stuff and cram it all into an M8. So M8 CSL is kind of gaining traction. And it's getting traction for a couple of reasons. One is the fact that uh, BMW MCEO Marcus Flash hinted recently at the fact that more CSL and CS models would be coming. Um, considering that the M5 CS we know is coming, um, and there's probably going to be you know maybe an M3 or M4 version of that, um, the only one left really is the M8. So what would it be getting? A CS, a CSL? We don't really know. And another rumor, or another reason why that rumor is sticking is because the there there is there is a rumored M8 CSL, and it's going to have hybrid powertrain, or it's said to have a hybrid powertrain with a uh, turbocharged six-cylinder uh, that has electric turbochargers and electric motors. So it's supposed to be a very like hybridized, high-tech uh, six-cylinder powertrain. Um, but there, there is a bit of an issue with that rumor, at least for this prototype that we saw. Um, the, the prototype had no uh, badges on it that said electric test vehicle. Now, those badges are actually required in Germany on electric test mules, and they should be because um, in case of an accident or in case emergency services have to come, they need to know that there are uh, batteries on board, lithium-ion batteries on board, uh, because it's a whole different process of putting out a fire in case there's there's an issue so uh, emergency services need to be notified that it is indeed a hybrid or or an electric car in general so they because the test mule didn't have those it kind of throws some cold water on the rumors that it was a hybrid but those are the rumors that are swirling and sticking um we we don't know one way or another we do know that bmw is working on some interesting stuff um, one, my, my first reaction to seeing the test mule actually was that it was a um, defunct, uh, you know, test bed for the M Next because the M Next was said to use a mid-engine hybrid powertrain. This looked like it was a mid-engine test mule, so that was my first thought. Especially now the M Next is dead, which is unfortunate because um, that was a really exciting car. We were all really excited about that, but that's dead. So I thought maybe it was like a defunct test mule that they, maybe just old pictures of they were testing that before they canceled the M-Next. Um, but I don't think that's true. Uh, I think an M8 CSL is a likely, um, I think it's a likely outcome for whatever that test mule is. And I think it's a likely car. Um, only because I think BMW is really needs to make a bigger statement with the M8. It's really been a luke, it's had a lukewarm reception to say the least. I mean, the M8 is a good car. It is. It's astonishingly fast, and it is incredibly capable. I drove one on track in at a BMW's test center at Spartanburg, South Carolina, and it's ridiculously capable on track, despite weighing as much as a moon. Um, you know, it, it's very capable. It's a very fast car. Um, it looks cool. You know, it handles well enough. It's a good car. It's just nowhere near as good as its price point suggests. Um, and it's far more of a GT car, like, it should be far more of a GT car because it, it is so heavy and the, the regular 8 Series is so comfortable. They should have just made the M8 a GT car, but they tried to make it some, like, track-focused sports car, but it's just not. It's just too big and heavy to do that. As capable as it is, it's just not fun to drive at 10 tenths. It's just, it, it just isn't. Um, it's just too 
big. It's too luxurious. It's it's just too much. So I think they went in the wrong direction with that, and it's too much money. Like if you want a sports car, you don't spend 170 grand on an M8. You you spend the money on a 911 GT3, or you spend the money on an Aston Martin Vantage or something like that, um, or an Audi R8. Uh, I actually just drove one of those, and oh my God, what an incredible car! Uh, there is not a chance in hell I would take an M8 over an R8. So. You know, I don't see the point in buying the M8. So I think BMW really needs to get some better publicity on the M8. So I think an M8 CSL is a possible, a real possibility. Something more exciting, something really stripped out, something kind of crazy. You know, something to really get uh, fans licking their chops at getting into one and maybe charging a lot for it so they can recoup some money on the M8 because it's just not selling well at all. Uh, the 8 Series lineup in general just isn't selling well at all. I know COVID has had a lot to do with that. But, um, you know, even before that, it was selling pretty poorly, the 8 Series. So, uh, you know, I think an M8 CSL is a real possibility. Whether or not it's a hybrid, I don't know. And it's almost certainly not going to be mid-engine. But uh, we are hearing rumors that it's a six-cylinder, um, multiple turbocharger hybrid. That's sort of the, the word on the street. So that's a real possibility. Um, that'd be interesting. I don't know if I'm enthusiastic about it, and maybe I'd have to see it, but uh, in general, the M8's not a great driving car, so I don't think, you know, stripping it out and making it stiffer would make it any better. I think, honestly, they should go the other way around and just kind of embrace the GT nature of it and kind of lean into that and make it more of like an Aston Martin DB11 than, uh, than anything else. Like, try to go more that route than Porsche 911. Like, amp up the luxury, amp up the, you know, the style, amp up stuff like that rather than make it they strip it out because it's just it's just still too big and heavy to be a proper sports car even csl duty i don't think could save the m8 to be completely honest with you, that's my personal opinion but uh, i think they should if they go more gt route i think that would really save the m8 because it, it's, it's a great gt car well, at least the regular 8 series is the m850i is a brilliant gt car um so i think that they should just kind of go more in that direction i hope honestly they don't waste their time on m8 csl because as far as i could see it wouldn't be that great but i could see um, BMW doing that to try to save it a little bit, even though I think it'd be a failed attempt. Uh, I think that might be something BMW ends up doing. So now I want to really switch gears, though, and I want to get off of BMW specifically, and I want to talk about one of its main competitors. Now, this might ruffle some feathers, but I want to talk about the Mercedes-Benz S-Class. So the new S-Class just debuted, um, and it's a big deal. And the S-Class is always a big deal, and the reason is that I don't care anyone says if you like the 7 series great it's a great car if you like the audi a8 great it's a great car but none of them are as good as the mercedes-benz s-class not either of those two cars not the jaguar xj not the maserati quattroporte not anything the s-class is the undisputed luxury car king it always has been and it most likely always will be and there's a reason for that mercedes-benz understands what a luxury car is supposed to be it is supposed to be about luxury not supposed to be about handling like the 7 series so tr try so hard to to make convince us that it is um and it's not about tech and it's not about whiz bangery and all the crazy features that you'll find in an audi a8 um it's not about the weird italian exotic flair of a quattroporte or anything like that it is about luxury it is about making an unbelievable ride um making your passengers feel as special and as uh you know as, as comfortable and just as absolutely opulent as possible it is supposed to be an, it's supposed to feel like you're pulling up to a red carpet event every single time you get into the s-class 
and that's what it does you know and BMW recently today they, they launched a little video um, showing an S a 7 series going through like an S curve and saying this is how we handle an S or something like that as if like they're supposed to knock the S class because it can't handle as well as the 7 series and that's true the 7 series is a, is a better handling car it's a more capable car but I'm going to tell you this right now nobody cares it doesn't matter I've driven the, the new 7 Series a lot. Even the new facelifted 750 with its monster V8. And it's very fast. And it does handle well. But you know what? It's not a great luxury car. And the S-Class looks like it will be a great luxury car. Because the previous one was. And this one looks even better. So it just looks incredible. But the thing is, the S-Class always sets the benchmark. It is always the car that sets the tone for the entire segment. And then every other car is just playing catch-up. Now here's why it's important. Well, more important now than ever before. So it is packed with technology. It is packed with an incredible amount of technology. But it all seems to be there to just make the passenger's life nicer. It's not there to be flashy. It's not there to show off, ooh, look at what we can do. It's just there to make passenger's life nicer. Here's an example of the tech that I, I love in the new S-Class. So like with all modern um, premium cars, that, the S-Class has, you know, a little virtual assistant. You just say, hey, Mercedes, and it, like Siri, it just wakes up and, you know, you give it voice commands and it tells, you know, it does stuff. Um, but Mercedes has increased the natural uh, voice recognition, so you can just say, you know, things as simple as, hey, Mercedes, I'm cold, and it will, you know, turn the heat on or the heat, heated seats on or whatever. But what's interesting about the S-Class is that it has four individual, I don't want to say four individual uh, microphones because that's probably a crude way of putting it, but it has four different zones that the assistant recognizes. So let's say, uh, basically as one zone for each main passenger, the driver, the front passenger, and both rear passengers. So let's say I'm in the passenger side in the rear, and I say, hey Mercedes, the ambient lighting in just my zone will kind of light up in a certain color and flash to tell me that the assistant knows I'm talking to it, so it can recognize which person in the car is talking to it. Then I say, hey Mercedes, I'm a little cold, and it will increase the heat in only my zone. That is luxury. It is making the life of the passengers as easy as absolutely possible. Like, you don't have to say, hey Mercedes, turn up the heat in whatever zone, or Hey Mercedes, turn up the heat, and then the, the driver or the front passenger has to like manually adjust the zones so that it can, you know, just that one passenger gets the, the extra heat. You know, it just makes life easier and it acts like it's a butler. Like that little bit of extra luxury just makes cars, luxury cars, nicer. And that's the sort of thing that Mercedes gets so right every time it does an S Class. But it does also have some, you know, techno whiz bangery. It is a modern. Uh, you know, luxury car. And one of the features that I really, really love, and it's one that I've really been impressed with on like the newer Mercedes, like the A-Class and stuff has it, but the S-Class takes it to another level, and that's their augmented reality navigation system. So if you see on like an A-Class or something, uh, it uses a camera in the front of the car to kind of display an image of what the car sees from the front onto the navigation screen. You know, the regular, you know, I think it's called the MBUX system, the MBUX infotainment system. Just on the nav screen, it shows you like a, uh, an Im image of what's, you know, ahead of you. And then it displays like navigation arrows uh, in augmented reality on 
that screen so it kind of you know like if you're turning left you know it'll show arrows like kind of zooming you know left through that turn so it looks like the arrows are actually going through the turn on the screen and that's cool kind of just helps you see exactly where you're supposed to go it just gives you a little bit of, better of an indication of where to go exactly so that's cool um but on the s class it does it in the head-up display and that's really cool so as you're driving along you don't have to look anywhere i mean your navigation directions are not only are they in front of you but you don't have to read anything i mean you have augmented reality pointing you you know pointing where to go that's incredible not only is that really slick and really cool and it looks cool because they showed pictures and like uh, video demonstrations of it it looks really cool and it looks like it works really well not only is that slick but again it's making your life easier you don't have to read you don't have to look down while you're driving the last thing you want to have to do is say what wait what does that say uh, turn left in 50 meters you don't have to do that while you're driving you just have to look ahead and there's a big arrow that's pointing to where you have to go that's so nice while you're driving along, the last thing you want to do is do secondary functions. You don't want to look elsewhere. You don't want to have to read small font somewhere. You don't want to have to listen out for directions, especially when you're listening to music or something. You just want to be told where to go, and this tells you where to go in the simplest, easiest, coolest, slickest, high-tech way I've ever seen. That is luxury tech. You know, the 7 Series is great. It is a great car, objectively speaking. If you were to sit in a 7 Series and drive along all day, you would never once complain about being in it. It is a lovely car to be in. But the S-Class is better. It just focuses on the details that matter more. Like in the 7 Series, the ride is actually a little bit harsh for a luxury car. Why? Because it handles really well for a luxury car. But realistically, who the hell cares? Because even handling well for a luxury car in this day and age isn't that good like it's not fun to drive a 7 series it still weighs as much as a small mountain like it's not fun to drive it's just more fun to drive than maybe an s-class or an a8 but again who cares if it's not as good as a, of a luxury car the s-class focuses on the details that matter like making your life easier and making your life more premium like it makes you feel more premium right like you get into an s-class and it just feels like you're in a whole other league of people <laughs> you know you get into an s-class and you feel like oh well i'm better than everyone else outside of here because it just feels that special and and that's the thing that i love about this new s-class and i really think that it's going to set the benchmark again i mean to be honest with you the the pre the current gen s-class the one that's actually on sale right now is still the benchmark and it's like six years old so this new one is just going to be into the set the benchmark into the stratosphere. I mean, I, I don't see any other luxury car catching up with this, uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. BMW enthusiasts might be pissed at me saying that, but it's the truth, and it's a good thing because uh, competition breeds excellence, right? The better competition gets, the better everyone else has to get to to match that game. So it's only going to make the next seven series better. It's only going to make the next Audi A8 better. It's only going to make the next Jaguar XJ whenever the hell that comes out better. And every other luxury car, uh, you know, from here on out, is going to have to s compare itself to the S-Class. going to have to benchmark the S-Class. And because the S-Class seems so incredible, that's just going to make the rest of the segment more incredible. And those technologies always trickle down. Mercedes, uh, one thing they do better than anyone else um, for certain is that they do the whole trickle-down technology thing best. I mean, they start with the S-Class, they innovate everything they do uh, every one of their innovations is done on the S-Class 
and then they trickle that tech down slowly. So the E-class e gets like a lot of it, the C-class gets a little bit of it, and the A-class gets only a tiny bit of it, but at least they trickle it down nicely. So when you're in an A-class or a C-class or an E-class, you go, okay, I, I, I get it. I'm getting a version of that incredible car. I'm getting a little slice of the S-class, um, you know, in this car. And there's a special feeling about that. You know, and that's Mercedes does that really well. So that's going to happen as well. And then when other brands try to match the S class's tech, they're going to do the same thing. So it's going to, the S class kind of sets the standard, the gold standard for the industry. And, uh, you know, everyone else just kind of follows suit. So when, and when the S class is excellent, everything else becomes better. And I think so, you know, as frustrating as it might be for BMW fans to hear me. Uh, kind of lambaste the 7 Series and praise the S-Class, uh, it is a good thing that it's it's going to be so good because, again, it sets the tone uh, that the rest of the industry has to follow. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. I really want to see it in person. I want to kind of drive it around and you know, check out the back seat. I, I want to see it. I, I really am excited and interested about it because it has some really cool tech features that I think are going to pave the way for the future of luxury cars. It's really cool. Uh, speaking of the future of cars i want to talk to you a little bit about a new upstart company and i'm not going to lie to you it's a car that i barely had you know the corner of my eye on over the past year or so uh, i heard about it when it was first announced and then i totally disregarded it because all upstart companies to me are worthless until they actually put a car on the road because there's a million of them and then they never end up actually making it to the road and it's a whole big mess so I never really pay attention to upstarts until they really put out something concrete. And Lucid Motors from California just put out an EV that has blown me away. Now it's not on sale yet, so I, I do hesitate to like really be blown away by it, but it's hard not to be. When you see what they actually did on video, they put a real production level car, production ready car, on a drag strip next to a Tesla Model S P100D, the fastest accelerating electric car ever, well, maybe not ever made, but the fastest accelerating electric sedan you can buy is the Model S P100D. Uh, you know, 0 to 60 in you know, 2.5 seconds or whatever, and it typically runs a quarter mile of about 10.2, 10.3, which is astonishingly fast for an electric car that's that heavy. I mean, it's running a 10 second quarter mile in an electric sedan that weighs 5,000 pounds and has, you know, five leather seats and heated seats on stuff is ridiculously fast, right? So Lucid Motors just came out with their first car called the Air. It's a silly name, but whatever. It's the Lucid Air. And they put it on a drag strip and it ran a 9.9 quarter mile at over 140 miles per hour. That is ridiculously fast. That is insane but that isn't that's the least impressive thing about the lucid lucid air so lucid motors is an interesting company yes they're an upstart but they've also actually been working behind the scenes for a long time so lucid actually has a separate entity and it's called i believe it's called ativa a-t-i-e-v-a ativa i think or i don't know how to spell it but whatever or how to pronounce it but whatever um it's their tech technology subdivision and what they've been doing since 2018 is actually designing, developing, and manufacturing battery packs for Formula E cars. So when you think about that for a second, they've been investing battery tech in motorsport. Now if you look back at history, all of the greatest, most incredible 
performance road car breakthroughs have come from motorsport. They've been, I mean, you look at Gordon Murray. Everything Gordon Murray put into the McLaren F1 and now the T50, he learned in motorsport. He learned from Formula One. You look at BMW, the E30 M3, DTM race car. You look at the BMW M1. I mean, that engine was developed to be a racing engine by Paul Rocha, who was a, you know, race car engine designer. Motorsport has always been, you look at Audi, the, the, the original Quattro, that all-wheel drive system pioneered all-wheel drive for performance cars, came from motorsport. All impressive road car performance breakthroughs have come from motorsport. So the fact that Lucid is developing batteries for Formula E cars, it's like it's not only just manufacturing them, but it's designing them. They're, cre they're creating these battery packs for Formula E cars, so they understand how to get the most, the absolute most, out of the batteries, and they've been doing it on the cutting edge for a few years now. So they have more experience developing better battery packs than anybody else in the world. Now, you look at that, and then you look at the specs, the battery specs that the Lucid Air has. So it's a 113 kilowatt hour battery pack. Now that's big, that's a big battery pack, where the Tesla Model S P100D has a 100 kilowatt hour, hour battery pack. Um, the Audi e-tron has a 95 kilowatt hour, hour battery pack. Uh, the Mercedes EQC, I think it's a, I think it's, a, I think it's a 90 something kilowatt hour battery pack. So it's not that much bigger than you know anything else in the segment, but its range is much higher. So Tesla had to work incredibly hard with their latest, I think it's called like the P100D Super Duper Extra Long Range King Size, you know California King Plus Battery Pack. I don't know what the hell it's called. It's got some ridiculously long name, but anyway. It's said to do about 402 miles on a single battery charge. That is an enormous amount. You know, the, most gasoline cars don't have 400 miles of range. That is ridiculous. That is an incredible amount. The Lucid Air, 517. Has an extra 115 miles of range. That is astonishing. I mean, 517 miles of range is what you get out of a diesel like a, like a you know, diesel econo car gets 500 miles of range. But this is from an electric performance sedan that can run a nine, nine quarter mile. That is, that, that it blows my mind. I actually have a hard time comprehending such a thing. You know, that is madness, but it gets even better. So it's supposed to run on Lucid Air's 900 volt architecture, which is, is uh, you know beyond anything else in the world right now the porsche Taycan is the best at the 800 volt architecture i think the audi e-tron gt being based on the porsche Taycan uh, is going to have something similar so it's a 900 volt architecture and it, it's it has like an onboard uh charging unit this this you know in-house uh proprietary charging system that lucid calls its uh wunderbox right so it's it's this crazy charging system that is said to be able to charge the car admittedly at 300 kilowatt uh, charging, which is you know way beyond what anything else can do. I think 150 is the highest of production car. I think that the Model S with the super duper battery pack, uh, the Audi e-tron and the Porsche Taycan can do 150 kilowatt charging. I think those are the only three. Um, but this is supposed to be done with 350 kilowatt charging, at least it's capable of that. Um, and it's hooked up with uh, Electrify America, which is like a charging station company. And they have, uh, a few, they're nowhere near as big as Tesla superchargers, but they have a pretty good amount of charging stations. I've actually heard some complaints about how they work, but 
anyway, they're, they're a pretty new company developing charging stations, and they're said to have um, some 350 kilowatt charging stations. Now, Lucid claims that with that charging station, uh, it can recharge or can add 300 miles of range in 20 minutes. So you stop off, you know, you, st you stop off somewhere, you take a pee, you grab a cup of coffee, and you're back on the road with an additional 300 miles. That is unheard of in the electric car world. I mean, that makes a Tesla supercharger look slow. That's crazy. Admittedly, you have to find a 350 kilowatt charger, which is almost impossible. But the idea is that when the technology gets better and 350 kilowatt chargers are more common, your Lucid Air will be able to do it. And that is that it's forward thinking and its capability, its technological capability that no one's seen yet before. That's just remarkable. But it gets even better still. So Lucid Air, the one thing that I always complain about Tesla is Teslas are very, very heavy. And it seems like they're they're sort of crude in how they, they build their cars. They just stuff, they just cram it full of giant battery packs and go, look how much range it has. It has a zillion battery packs, so it weighs as much as a you know building and you know it has a ton of range. Yeah, that's great, and it is impressive what Tesla can do. There's, there's no denying that. But Lucid is making things light, so it's, it has these uh, proprietary drive units, similar to how BMW has its own like e-drive units now, where it's the, the electric motor with the transmission, all that stuff built in. This is similar, so it's electric motor with a, you know, I think it's a one-speed or two-speed transmission, and a differential, all built into one drive unit, with along with all the, you know, extra, you know, inverters and electronics that it needs. So it has all that built into one drive unit, but it only weighs 163 pounds, so 74 kilograms for any uh, uh, European listeners. That's really light for a drive unit. That's really impressive. Not only is it light, but it's compact. Lucid says that the whole thing can fit into like an overhead carry-on bag. Uh, that's really impressive stuff. So not only are they making these... Oh, and each drive unit is capable of 650 horsepower from something that weighs just 163 pounds. I mean, 163 pounds is you know, not heavy in terms of like, you know, engines and electric motors and stuff. That's not a heavy thing, especially when you consider everything that's in it. Um, that, that's really impressive. So they're not only making things really powerful, they're not only making the batteries really impressive, but they're making them lightweight. And then you look at the car. It's a good looking car. It's a bit of a, you know, jelly bean, but it, it looks cool. It looks interesting. It looks like an electric car. Look at the interior interior is really slick has a cool minimalist design but it looks really modern and futuristic it looks way better than anything in a tesla it looks better than even i'd say in the audi e-tron it's a really cool looking ev on the inside i really like it a lot really slick really modern very california really dig it it's a cool car now it's going to be expensive lucid says the uh, entry level model is like 60 grand um and that's obviously not going to run a 99 quarter mile it's not going to have 570 miles of charge but when you look at what it's capable of, you'd think, well, the 60 grand model should be pretty damn good, right? 300 miles of range, maybe, you know, maybe it's got, you know, 400 horsepower, 500 horsepower, you know, like, I mean, if, if the, cause the, the big bit, the big daddy one that runs a nine, nine quarter mile has 1080 horsepower because it has two of those monster uh, drive units. So if this, if that has a thousand eighty horsepower, then the $60,000 one probably has like what you know 500 horsepower something like that because the big daddy one is supposed to cost around six figures you know probably i would say probably closer to 150,000 when all when all said and done um but you know so what does the $60,000 one have 
you know, 500 horsepower, 300 miles of range, that sounds pretty damn good to me. You know, for 60 grand, that sounds really good, especially because it's going to look cool. Um, you know, I think Tesla has a real big problem on its hands if, if Lucid really, really does come through, and it says it will. You know, uh, and another thing is Lucid is very aware that, and they're very transparent about the fact that they are aware that the EPA rating typically, unlike range and stuff, is typically far less than what manufacturers claim. And Lucid claims, uh, yeah, but we're going to, the EPA is going to match ours. Like they, they're calling their shot. Now, whether or not they actually land it is a different story, but, you know, they seem really confident. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see this through because, I mean, if, if Lucid can do this, then we have an upstart, another upstart, Californian electric car company, you know, really putting it to the rest of the industry. I would be very excited if this comes, uh, this becomes a reality and is everything Lucid says it is, because that would be a huge, huge gain for not only the auto industry, but the American auto industry, which is struggling at the minute. Uh because American car companies are just, I don't know what the hell they're doing these days. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. So to see an American car company uh, come out with something really forward-thinking, really, really technologically advanced and impressive, and not just in a way that seems kind of... Like, it's hard to root for Tesla because of how kind of obnoxious the whole brand is and how obnoxious Elon Musk is. But, the, you know, Lucid seems to be doing it the right way and really investing time in the technologies you know, developed like they're like they've been developing batteries for Formula E for two years to learn about batteries, develop the battery packs the right way, rather than putting out tech that isn't fully developed yet and beta testing it on the public. You know, like stuff like that about Tesla makes it hard to root for them. But when Lucid is doing it the right way, or it seems to be that they're doing it the right way, um, you know, it's easy to root for a brand like that. So I'm hoping that this becomes everything that Lucid says it will because that would not only move the industry forward, but it would make every other brand have to follow up. Just like the S-Class sets the benchmark, this would set another benchmark. You know, this would set the benchmark in EV tech, and every brand would be playing catch-up. And uh, it would also surprise me to see uh, mainstream legacy manufacturers uh, working with Lucid for battery tech, because they already are in Formula E. You know, BMW's in Formula E, Audi's in Formula E, Jaguar's in Formula E. So those brands, if they were to work with uh, Lucid and its subdivision for battery tech, that would make a lot of sense for road cars. You already see Porsche doing it. Porsche worked with uh, Rimac for its battery tech. Uh, you know, it worked. It actually actually bought a stake in Rimac. Um, so you see legacy automakers, you know, optimistic and working with some of these you know upstart electric brands. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if uh, Lucid becomes a big player and then legacy automakers start working with Lucid for battery tech. Um, and that would really piss Tesla off, which would be really a really interesting dynamic to see. So that's a car that I really am excited about. And if you haven't uh, seen it or read about it yet, uh, we have an article about it up on the site, bmwblog.com. So check that out. Um, and just kind of keep an eye on it because it's going to be a really cool car in the future. So that's all we have for this week's episode, but we're looking to get some more guests for the next coming weeks. We've, you know, been in talks with some some other guests, so we're really hoping to get some people on and, uh, you know, have some interesting stories and stuff for you in the, the future. But we have some cool test drives coming up uh, soon, and just some, some interesting stuff is on the horizon. So we have a lot of cool topics uh, to talk about, so please stay tuned uh, to the podcast, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening.